Hebrews chapter 2, everybody. If you would go there. Hebrews chapter 2. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Always been so good to us, Lord. Now I pray just as we take these few minutes here, Lord, to look into your word, and to have your word look into us, to examine us, Lord. I pray for freedom from distraction. I pray for hearts, Lord, that would just be open to receiving all that you have, for minds, Lord, that would be open to receiving all that you have, Lord. So let your word run forth swiftly, Lord. Send forth your word and heal us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. For those of you who were not here last week, and just for a recap, last week we talked about how do you see Jesus do you see him according to the flesh or do you see him according to the spirit and how that determines everything? Because where Jesus is known or seen according to the flesh like he was in his hometown, then there was a lack of honor for Jesus and it says that he could not do many miracles because of their lack of faith in him. And we talked about how even on Mother's Day that Jesus is better than our beloved mother's. Jesus is better than biological family. And Jesus was constantly sidestepping the question of mothers and brothers to point to the fact that the true family of God are those that hear the word of the Lord and obey the word of the Lord. And then his biological family came along and they were gathered together with the church in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. And we talked about James, his biological half-brother, and Jude, his biological half-brother, and how they went from not believing him in John 7 to at the beginning of their epistles in James 1.1 and Jude 1.1, saying, Jesus, the Lord, the Lord Christ Jesus, and I am his bondservant or his slave. And they did not even claim that they were his half-brothers. And so really, biological family is beautiful and it's wonderful, but it gets overshadowed and swallowed up in the family of God because we drink of the Spirit together and how sweet it is when those two things line up, biological and spiritual. I want to piggyback off that this week. How do you see Jesus? And Hebrews chapter 2 puts an exclamation point on that, I believe, for us in verse 8. In putting everything under them, under their feet, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at the present time, we do not see everything subject to them or to him, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that's us, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation, Jesus, perfect or complete through what he suffered both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. We know that Jesus is seated high above everything. Everything is under his feet, and that's true. But it's also true that we don't presently see everything subject to him, meaning every knee is not yet bowing and every tongue is not yet confessing that Jesus is Lord. How can these things be true? 
How can it be both and? We are saved and we're being saved. He is Lord over all, and yet men and women are still Lord unto themselves. How can this be true? And what's happening is he's bringing about glory. He's bringing about his kingdom here. And so it takes a different set of eyes to see both working at the same time. We have our natural eyes that do not see what we want to see. We do not see abortion stopped yet. We do not see sex trafficking stopped yet or divorce stopped. We don't see sickness stopped yet. But in our spiritual eyes, we see in the kingdom of God, he has defeated all of those things. And they're all underneath his feet. And we are seated with him and they're underneath our feet in Christ Jesus. And so we pray to those things and about those things with authority. How do you see Jesus? It's a big determiner on how you live life. Christ is our example. Christ is our older brother. He's the firstborn among many brothers, yes? Christ is our paradigm. Christ is not only our life, he is the life. And so he is the pattern for us to live by. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. It says that in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, took Jesus as the mold, as the prime example, and he completed him through your favorite subject and mine, suffering. That's how God got done what he needed to get done in Jesus's natural body. Was Jesus sinful? Absolutely not. But it says he learned obedience through what he suffers in Hebrews chapter five. How is that possible? Was Jesus complete in the Godhead? Absolutely he was. And yet he was made perfect or he was made complete or finished in his suffering. And so you and I made in his image as little brothers and little sisters follow that same example. He starts a good work in us, yes, and he brings it to completion. And how he does that is through, your favorite subject and mine, suffering. He forms us. He, we're not conformed into the image of this world. We're not patterned after this world, but we're transformed and we're made into his image. But the seed has to break before the good stuff comes out of it. Yes? Seeds do absolutely no good on a pillow in the air conditioning, as I've said before. They might be fun to look at, but zero benefit. A seed has to be put down underneath the surface and buried and put in a cold, damp environment and sit there while nothing happens until the outer shell breaks and the good stuff inside of it comes bursting forth. You and I have treasures in what? Beautiful porcelain vases. You and I have treasures in jars of clay. And how does that treasure get out? Well, you break the jar of clay and you get the treasure out. Think of Gideon with me. Remember when, when he took his mighty army of 300 men up against the 180-some thousand Assyrians? What did they do? They put their torches in jars of clay. And then they went out and they surrounded the enemy in the valley. And when the time came, they blew the trumpet and they broke those jars and the light streamed forth. And it looked like a mighty army was coming against the enemy and they turned on each other and a great victory. 
What happens to defeat the enemy in your life and mine? Well, we have to be broken. We have to be broken so that the good stuff, the life of Christ in us can burst forth. And so we embrace the cross. We embrace suffering. So we are God's family, and the template that he used for Christ is our same template. And so Jesus said over and over, especially in the Gospel of Luke, it is necessary. It is necessary. It is necessary. Luke 9, it's necessary that the Son of Man suffer and be rejected by the religious leaders, be killed and be raised on the third day. It's necessary. It's necessary, Luke 17, that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Or it is written, the Messiah would suffer, he says in Luke 24. And this template for Jesus is the same template for Paul in Acts chapter 9. You go tell Paul how much he must suffer for my name. I'll I'll reveal to him how much suffering he's got to deal with for the sake of my name. Aren't we all glad Paul suffered? We got this largely because Paul suffered. I'm so glad that David suffered in the Psalms because I get the word about the Lord being his shepherd. I get the the word about how he's very near and dear to the broken heart. I'm so glad that the saints suffered, that I got the gold that was inside of them. And so to all believers in Acts 14, Paul says, I want to strengthen you and I want to encourage you all. And I don't want you to be apostizing from the faith. And I want to tell you, it's through many tribulations that we enter into the kingdom of God. Don't be misled. The way is narrow. The door is narrow to enter into the kingdom of God. Aren't you all so excited? Suffering is how we get in. This changes our mindset. This makes us different people. This makes us peculiar people. This freaks the world out. What's wrong with you people that you would joyfully endure the plundering of your possessions in Hebrews 10 because you know that you have a greater possession in heaven? What's wrong with you? Why would you let me take your cloak and not sue me for what I did? Why would you treat me this way? Don't you know you should stand on your rights? And you say, I got a better possession. It freaks people out. Philippians chapter one says, it's been granted to you to suffer. 1 Thessalonians chapter three says, we're destined for suffering. 2 Timothy three says, anyone who wants to give, live godly in Christ Jesus will have a healthy bank account. Anyone who wants to live Christ-like, live godly in this age, will be persecuted. It's coming for you. If you say yes to Jesus, you will suffer. Christ's path is the narrow path of the cross at the beginning. And Christ's path is the path that leads to unlimited, indescribable glory in the end for all eternity. Yeah? The devil's path is the wide path of pleasure in the beginning. And the devil's path leads to unlimited and indescribable agony in the end and for all eternity. Yes? Which one do you want for this short vapor life that you have? Because it's your choice. Luke 13 is fascinating to me. If you could keep your finger there in Hebrews and go back to your left to Luke 13. We'll come back to Hebrews in just a second. 
I, I think this a lot, and I don't always say it, but the disciples said it, and so, or someone said it, and I, I thought it'd be worth saying again today. Verse 22, Jesus, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way through Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Does anyone else but me think this? <laughs> like, this just seems like we're so small in number. And there's millions of people, maybe billions that don't want anything to do with Jesus. Is there just a few? Like everyone in Noah's day died, but it was like him and his three sons and their wives, like, that's it. That's all that made it through. Are only a few going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. What does that mean? Many will say yes to Jesus, but then that, that soil that's rocky, when the sun comes out and trials and persecutions come, they have no root. And so they fall away. Many will say yes to Jesus initially, but then the thorns and thistles and the cares of this life, the weeds, will choke out the word in the end. And it says many will say yes, they'll try, but they'll not be able to because of suffering. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us, but he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. What does that mean? You didn't identify with me in my sufferings. That's how we know Jesus. We identify with him. He was the man of sufferings. We're the people of suffering as his children. I know Jesus because I participate with him in part in his sufferings. I don't know you or where you came from. Then you'll say, hey, wait a second. Verse 26, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets, but he'll reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, you evildoers. The door is narrow and many will not make it. And many, I'm telling you guys, as suffering picks up, as the heat gets turned up, many will fall away. I'm saying this to you today because I don't want you to fall away. I don't want us to fall away. Our dear brothers and sisters that can't be here with us today, I don't want them to fall away. Peter just emphasizes this over and over and over again. First Peter, go back there if you would. No New Testament book emphasizes suffering as thoroughly as 1 Peter does. Five chapters in this little book. He only got two in there, First and Second Peter. No book in the New Testament covers suffering as adequately as 1 Peter, one through five. Every single chapter bears this theme. There's six examples of Christ's suffering, and there's six, what am I trying to say? Complementing examples of our suffering. They go together. For example, um, Ephesians, or, uh, 1 Peter 2, 18. Starting in 18, it says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. For it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. That's your job. Now, here's why. Because to this you were called, in verse 21, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they unjustly hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself 
to one who judges justly. Because Christ did it that way, you do it that way. There's all these examples throughout, look with me in chapter four. In verse one, this is Christ's example. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, that's what he did, now you do the same thing. You arm yourselves mentally with the same attitude or with the way of thinking that Christ had. Because whoever suffers in the body or in the flesh ceases from sin or is done with sin or it's indwelling power, the power of sin over us. When you suffer in the body like Christ did, then you're free from the indwelling power of sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. Every single chapter in the book of 1 Peter covers suffering really, really well. And then he gets to this. In verse 12 of chapter four, and I'm gonna read all the way through verse 19. So stay with me, but get a Bible in front of you or look up on the screen if you would. Dear friends, and I say this to you today, and I want you to listen as if the apostle Peter was standing here today saying this to you. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you or to test your faith as though something strange or unusual were happening to you. Why, God, this suffering? What have I done to deserve? Don't think it's strange or unusual, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are, everybody say it with me, Blessed. Say it one more time. If you are insulted for the sake of Christ, you are blessed. blessed. Oh my. Why? Because if you're insulted for the sake of Christ, because of his name, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer though, here's another type of suffering. Don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or a criminal or even as a busybody or a meddler. You could suffer because of that. That's not good suffering. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name or that you're worthy of bearing that name. For it is time today and back then and right now, it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins, if the fire begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then think back to that Luke 13 passage that I just read. He quotes Proverbs 11 here. In verse 18, and if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, because the door is narrow, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will, because you can suffer a different way because you're a meddler and a busybody and a murderer and a thief, but those who suffer according to God's will should do two things. They should commit themselves to their faithful creator and they should continue to do good. There are two types of suffering in this passage. Suffering for the sake of Christ and suffering because you just made bonehead decisions. God's not mocked, you reap what you sow. There's two types of suffering. The same fire comes to deal with both of those issues. But there's two different types of purposes and two different types of effects of that fire. One fire comes to burn away the straw. It comes 
to punish. And that's coming someday in the future for all who reject Christ. One comes to purify the gold. So we have punishment and purification. The Lord's fire is the same, but his purpose in it is different. And the effects of it are different. And so we have Christ's example that the body of flesh must be done away with. Jesus was not sinful in his flesh, but his body of flesh had to be laid down in the grave that he might be raised anew. And by that same example, our body of flesh must be done away with. We must embrace the cross daily so that we die to self daily. Remembering, no suffering was needed in the Garden of Eden, yes? Perfect communion with God, perfect transparency with him, oneness and completeness. But then we ate the apple, and now to break out of that hardened shell that we have inside of us, that new life has to come forth by suffering. The jars of clay have to be broken. The seed must break. Peter was an excellent example in his life of being broken to get the good stuff out. As we all know, Peter was really, really good at taking a big step forward and then putting that step right back in his mouth. Peter was really bold and that got him in a lot of trouble. We love Peter. I love his example. I love this and I'll, and I'll finish here in, at the end of this book in chapter five. Look at this. Starting in verse nine, Peter's talking about being careful of the roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now watch verse 10 with me. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong and firm and steadfast. Let me read another translation. And after you've suffered a little while, God will perfect you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. And he will establish you. God himself will do it. After you've suffered a little while, because this God of all grace comes in, and you feel his hands all over you when you're suffering, don't you? So many of you can testify with me to this, that in your most broken of times, God seemed to be the nearest to your heart. And he spoke to you in ways that were so gentle and so sweet because his mercy met you in suffering, right? With the death in the family or the bad news, the cancer, the financial setback, it was like his hands were all over you. And it's because God himself is doing that work. And so it says he's restoring, he's building us up, he's making us strong, firm, and steadfast. He's supporting us, another translation says. He's keeping us from falling. After suffering, he's perfecting in us what we were meant to be in Christ. He's grounding us. And the reason why this verse really jumped out at me was because this is exactly what happened to Peter when he denied Christ. So this word here where it says confirm, he, he's going to confirm us, esterizo, and the Greek is the exact same word used in Luke chapter 22, where Jesus says, Peter, Peter, 
The enemy is asked to sift you as wheat. But when you return, I want you to sterizo. I want you to strengthen. I want you to confirm your brothers. And so Peter's saying here, after you've suffered a little while, like I did, remember he denied Jesus three times and what did he do? He went out and wept bitterly, suffering, suffering, he's broken. And after he returned, he was able to be filled with the Holy Spirit and stand up and strengthen the brothers with boldness. He was afraid of the servant girl, he denied Jesus to her, and yet he stands up on the day of Pentecost without fear of death and proclaims boldly, and the church is born. Peter knew from experience that the natural man, the flesh man, always, always, always resists the way of the cross. You remember in Matthew 16, Jesus says, well, look guys, I'm gonna have to suffer. I'm gonna have to be mistreated by the Pharisees and the scribes and elders, and then I have to die. Peter takes him aside and what does he do? He rebukes him. Never, Lord, I will never let this happen to you. And the one and only time Jesus calls one of his boys Satan is right here. Get behind me, Satan, he says, because you're a stumbling block. Why? Because you don't have in mind the things of God, God's concerns. You have in mind man's concerns. Then he turns around to everybody. He says, look, if anybody wants to follow me, he must take up his cross. He must deny himself and follow after me. If you want to be my disciple, this is what's required. You have to get man's natural thoughts and concerns out of your mind. You have to get God's thoughts and concerns. Even the noble stuff that says no to suffering. So the natural man, and we do this with each other sometimes, watch out, watch out, watch out. Because sometimes we're like, I'm so sorry you're going through this. And we have that, that spirit of almost like a uh, apathy about the, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. When, what I love is I've heard Francis Chan say one time, I'm so jealous for you that you're going through this because God's doing something really good in you. He's finishing something. He's making you strong and firm and steadfast. Peter does not say here, you might, try, you might pray to avoid suffering for a little while so that the Lord can build you up. He says, after you've suffered, this is what the Lord's going to do. The natural man had to be put to death in Peter so that he would get on board with God's concerns and he would not deny the cross. About a month ago, our friend Brian had a, a dream and I shared it with you that he saw two houses side by side and one was called the house of suffering and the other was called the house of mercy. And what I love about this, that in the suffering, the Lord's right there with the mercy. Yes, every time, even the thing you feared the most, you're like, I had a peace that passes understanding for some reason in that very difficult time in my life. Yeah, it was hard. I don't want to have to go through it again, but man, the Lord was so faithful to me during that time. And why is that? Because the Lord says, I have suffered and I can empathize with you in your suffering and I meet you there with my mercy. And so Lord takes our weak and shaky hearts that are so tended towards disbelieving him and looking to our circumstances for fulfillment and satisfaction, and he takes our grumbling mouths and he changes us through suffering. Like for instance, Lizzie and I live in an apartment building. And a few months ago, I shared with you guys that we got bed bugs for the first time ever. Now, I want you to know 
Some people die for their faith. Some people get bed bugs. I'm not sure which is worse. For me, I was thinking it was bed bugs. And I literally prayed. Like I knew some people in the apartment sat. I was like, let us not get it, Lord. And we got it from our neighbors above us. It went into our girls' room and I shared with you just what a wrenching moment that was for Lizzie and I. We're just weeping. Oh, we're suffering. The bed bugs. We're just so weak. We're so shaky. And then what happens? The Lord's mercy. We get a, the, the pest control guy that they send in. And he's a believer and he's like praying for us. And he, we deal with it. And then we're on a prayer retreat in Kansas City and we get the call. He found the source. Praise the Lord. A week later, I had a dream. There are roaches all underneath our bedroom floor. Oh, I hate roaches. Dear Lord, protect us from the roaches. What happens? We get a roast infestation from the neighbors below us. Oh my, Lord, we're suffering. Why us? What did we do? But we're a little stronger this time around. We're like, okay, it's gonna be okay. You know what? The Lord's faithful and he has apportioned this for my good. I believe that he's got mercy for us right now. We're going to get through this. It's all gone. Don't be afraid to come over to my house, guys, by the way. It's going to be all right. Just, if anything crunchy is in the food, just chew through it, okay? So, so we think we're done. And the other night, I wake up at 1219 in the morning to my wife sitting beside me, weeping. She's nursing the baby, weeping. Never a good sign. Dad's right. What is the deal? Why are you weeping? I just found a bed bug on our baby's crib. And I'm like, all right, what am, I, what am I supposed to do about this? So she's crying. I sit up in bed. We're like, Lord, we're broken. We're like, what do we do about this? Would you change our circumstances, Lord? But something was different this third time around. We said, Lord, thank you for your sovereign timing of this. I don't know why, but thank you, God. Turns out, The believing bug control guy was able to get there within 10 hours. Turns out, if she hadn't woken up and found that bug at 1219 in the pitch black of night when she did, we would have had an infestation throughout our room. But we caught it up front. It was only limited to his little crib. Attacking my girls, attacking Lizzie and I's bedroom, and attacking my baby. It came from our neighbor beside us. Above and below and beside. Why do I tell you this? Because Lizzie and I have been changed from being complaining, whining little babies about little bugs to saying, yes, Lord, so I can stand here and say this to you. Such a little tiny, like I'm not really suffering, right? I mean, like true suffering is happening in the earth. We're just like in kindergarten suffering, but it's the same principle. And I'm telling you guys, suffering does something where it it shores us up. The Lord's hand in us, it it, it steadies us. And it makes us strong and secure to where we can say, I can't see with my eyes naturally, but I see Jesus and I'm participating with him. And this fiery trial is not abnormal. It's actually perfectly normal. And I'm suffering for the sake of Christ. And that means I'm blessed because the spirit of glory rests on me. And that's a different way of thinking. So God's whole point is to get Christ up and out of us. 
The whole point of me sharing this story is that you could see Jesus in me. That's it. That's all that that suffering is. Some of you have 10 times the suffering that I'm going through right now. What are you doing with it? And my good friend Oswald Chambers confirmed what I was supposed to say today. This word was on my heart a few days ago. And then yesterday I was reading in my utmost and he says this, and I'll finish with this. Remember that you have been saved so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in your body. What does 2 Corinthians 4.10 say? We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That's why. The reason you've been saved is so that the life of Jesus can be manifested in your body. So direct the total energy of your powers so that you may achieve everything your election as a child of God provides. Rise every time to whatever occasion may come your way. You did not do anything to achieve your salvation, but you must do something to exhibit it. You must work out your own salvation, which God has worked in you already. Are your speech, your thinking, your emotions, evidence that you are working it out? Or are you still the same miserable, grouchy person set on having your own way? then it's a lie to say that God has sanctified you. God is the master designer and he allows adversities into your life to see if you can jump over them properly. By my God, I can leap over a wall. God will never shield you from the requirements of being his son or daughter. And this passage that was already on my heart to share, he said it here again. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not think, think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as, so, as though some strange things happen to you. So rise to the occasion. Do what the trial demands of you. It does not matter how much it hurts as long as it gives God the opportunity to manifest the life of Jesus in your body. May God not find complaints in us anymore but spiritual vitality, a readiness to face anything he brings our way. The only proper goal of life is that we manifest the Son of God. And when this occurs, all of our dictating of our demands to God disappears. Our Lord never dictated demands to his Father. We, and, and neither are we to make demands of God. We are here to submit to his will so that he may work through us what he wants. Once we realize this, he will make us broken bread and poured out wine with which to feed and nourish others. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would forgive us for resisting the cross in all the ways that we can do that. And I pray that instead, Lord, we could endure under the weight that we might be completed, lacking nothing. I thank you for the example of Christ Jesus and the suffering he endured. And I pray, Father, that this reminder today would stir up our thinking. As Peter said, his goal was in these books, 
remind you by stirring up your thinking that we are called to manifest Christ. And so Lord, I'm praying that we would be broken bread and poured out wine. Whatever you need to do to get the treasure out of us, we say, yes, Lord, just if you would, just for a moment, whatever your suffering looks like right now, the one that you hate, the one that you're like, dear God, make it go away. And it has not gone away. That you could rejoice, that you could say, Lord, do in this all that you want to do in me. We prove our discipleship by taking up our cross and identifying with Jesus. Thank you for your mercy that meets us even here in this day. Now, Lord, I pray as we go this week, God, that we could rejoice in our circumstances, that we could say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad no matter what the circumstances. I pray that we would not be a grumbling people. We'd not be a complaining people. But I pray, make us strong and firm and steadfast. Even if you have to sift us, Lord, strengthen us, God. I want to be your people, God. Amen and amen and amen. Bless you guys. Bless you this week. Thank you for coming. Praying for you. Love you all.